0: It's Friday, which means we are doing some reconstruction. We have recently entered into a season in the Christian year that we call Lent, where we take the time to look inward and examine our lives. David's Psalm 51 is often read at Ash Wednesday services, inviting people to spend the next 40 days in a spirit of repentance. Today I want to unpack that psalm and offer up to you a healthy way of understanding repentance and a healthy way to approach this annual religious season In our lives. Welcome back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and I am your coach, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. I'm so grateful you hit play and that you're joining me on this episode. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I attended an Ash Wednesday service where we read out loud Psalm 51 as a prayer. It's been such a long time since I read the Psalm. I'm so familiar with the passage, I didn't even give it a second thought. But as we began to read the Psalm, it hit me so differently. The words of King David began to sting in a new and painful way. You see, we sometimes forget that David's heartbreaking prayer of repentance was written out of a context that was extreme. David was the king of Israel, and as king, he saw a woman bathing on a rooftop, and he commanded this woman as king to come to his palace, and I believe that he raped her. I use the word rape because I I really doubt any woman at that time had any choice over whether or not she obeyed the king. And so when we learn that she conceived a child, David sent Bathsheba's husband to the front lines of a war so that he would die. Consequently, right after that, a prophet told David that he would be judged by God for his deeds and that his judgment came in the death of his son by Bathsheba. Going through all of this, David finally repented. And now we read Psalm 51 as a part of our Lenten season. It's strange to think that as a church, we apply a man's repentance for adultery and murder as a prayer that we should all pray. As if lying on your taxes and cutting someone off on the road or getting upset at your daughter is the same thing as rape and murder. David begs God to have mercy on him according to God's steadfast love, according to Yahweh's abundant mercy. This is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing, no matter what you may have done wrong. David believes that God can and will blot out his transgressions. People don't say these words unless they believe it. And David asked God, believing God would do it. In verse 4, David incorrectly asserts that it is against God and God alone that he has sinned, pretending that he did not sin against Bathsheba or her husband Uriah in killing him or against Uriah's friends and family for murdering their loved one or even against Bathsheba in calling her to do such a thing. It's only against God that David did such a terrible thing, and that is a huge blindness on his part. This kind of thinking supports an individualistic theology that is unhelpful when living in community. Yes, you can and should aspire to be responsible for yourself, but nothing you do is independent of other people. If you abuse your children, you risk those children growing up into adults who abuse others. If you abuse alcohol you will become less available to serve the people around you. If you commit adultery, not only do you risk breaking up a family, you risk destroying a person's sense of trust in another human being, and that is a kind of trust that is not always rebuilt. David believes that God is justified in taking his son. The child that David conceived out of rape was stillborn. David believed that this was God's judgment but that was simply not true. Children are born stillborn all the time. It is a deeply tragic reality that I am fully aware of having a wife that is pregnant. But it is a tragedy nonetheless. God does not kill innocent people to judge those who are at fault. That would make God out to be cruel and God bearing no reflection of the Jesus of Nazareth. And so if Jesus is the exact representation of, Of the invisible God, we know that God would never kill a child to punish their parent. David goes on to assert that he was born guilty, born as a sinner when his mother conceived him. This kind of thinking is so toxic because it supports self-hatred and the idea that we are bent towards sin and destruction. Dear listener, you were not born in sin. I don't care how you were conceived whether your parents decided to have you, chose to have you, planned to have you, whether it was a one-night stand, or whether it was a rape, or whether you were donor-conceived. You were not conceived in sin, however you came into the world. God desires integrity. Yes, this is true. Jesus Jesus is all about integrity and honesty. And David was trying in this psalm to honestly express that he had committed a sin, but that does not make it. True that his whole life and his whole existence was bent towards sin and destruction. Confession has the power to restore joy and gladness to our bones. Confession is a good thing, but you are not hell-bent towards sin. You were not born in sin. You were created by your Creator out of love and goodness and out of a desire to have fellowship with you. You were not born in sin. God cannot and will not ever cast you away from God's presence. In our Lord's exquisite passage on shepherding, Jesus said, I know my sheep and they know me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And it was Paul who said, who will separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, nothing can separate you from the love of God, not even your own sin and not even your shortcomings. Remember that David knew this. David knew that God's steadfast love and abundant mercy would forgive him. Our creator is steadfast when we are not, abundant in mercy when we fall short. Our heavenly mother remains. Jesus remains. God's love and acceptance of you remains, regardless of anything you might do wrong. A broken spirit is a healthy response when you've messed up. However, you cannot stay there. I used to think that God called all Christians to constantly exhibit a spirit of repentance and that we are to live what C.J. Mahaney called a cross-centered life where we fixated. We live fixated on developing an obsession on the crucifixion. But I've learned over time and with a lot of therapy that the Christian life is not a crucifixion. God is not calling you to a life of voluntary shame and voluntary pain and unending suffering. God is calling you to be free, to live a life of love and liberty. And so whether you're practicing anything related to Lent or not, I want to invite you to examine your life, but to do so in a healthy way. Think about your closest relationships. In what ways have you been maybe judgmental or impatient or angry? Instead of beating yourself up, dwell on the steadfast love of God. And think about how can you recover? Judgmentalness, impatience, and anger, they all have opposite character traits. They all have alternatives. How can you learn to be accepting? If you're judgmental, learn acceptance. If you're impatient, how can you learn to be patient? And if you're angry, always angry, how can you learn to be grateful? Perhaps you do need to go to therapy or to a recovery group. Perhaps you do need to confess your shortcomings to a person and ask for forgiveness, regardless of what you do. I hope and I pray that for you in this Lenten season that you will never forget Paul's just plea to the Corinthian church to do everything, do everything in love. Confess your shortcomings, confess your sins, knowing that you are loved. Reconnect in love. Treat yourself with love. Repent, knowing that you are already forgiven by love. I was once at a staff meeting in a church where a priest said that the purpose of life is to be in relationship with God and each other. I love that. I think that is a very beautiful way of understanding our purpose as humans. That doesn't mean that you need to be in a relationship with all people or people who continuously hurt you. All that means is, is that God is calling you to a life of relationship with other people and to live aware of how your actions affect others and to make that awareness your priority, to love others well. Dear listener, you are in the hands of Jesus, regardless of anything you may have done. Your whole life rests in God's hands. Even if you haven't gone to church in a million years and you no longer identify as a Christian, God has made you a part of the church. You were created in the image of God when you hug to comfort other people, you are giving another person a hint of the comfort of God. And when you receive a hug, you are receiving a hint of the just the divine comfort that God gives us. When you make someone laugh, especially when they're feeling down, you are blessing them with a hint of the overwhelming joy of God. And this is a wonderful part of being connected to our Creator and keeping that relationship open. There is nothing you could ever do to remove the imago day within you, and nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. And so, as we end, I want to give you a few ideas on how to explore this Lenten season in a healthy, life giving way. You don't have to give up chocolate or a kind of food or even be entirely without alcohol this season. You can do whatever you feel is right, but it's not, those kinds of things aren't necessary. For one, I want to encourage you to make time to journal for five to 10 minutes every day and possibly to journal to think about your life. Process this past year, what went well, what didn't. Number two, maybe find a service project that you can do once a week during the Lenten season to help you serve others, to help you get out of your own head and to embody your identity as the hands and feet of Jesus. Number three, this Lenten season, I want you to try to read Thomas Keating's Intimacy with God book. His last name is Keating, K-E-A-T-I-N-G, and the book is called Intimacy with God. It's a book on meditation and centering prayer. This kind of stuff is really hard for me, but I think it'll be helpful for me to read and for you to read and to practice it. I think it's good for anyone who comes from the evangelical church to really experience God in the stillness and the silence. It's a new thing for us, but it is a very healthy, healthy thing to do. If you're in recovery, you can read pages 86 through 88 every single day for 40 days out of the big book. It's a beautiful couple of pages that centers us on seeking God's will every day for our lives. And then number five, maybe you want to take a photograph every day for 40 days to mark your Lenten journey. Perhaps a photo of yourself or a photo of your surroundings to help you think and process your life right now. I would love to know what you're doing this Lenten season to put yourself in a kind of self examining introspective spirit. And I would also love to know how you hear Psalm 51. I want you to always remember that you are loved by God, and that has always been true. Before you became a Christian, after you deconstructed, regardless of how you identify, God's love is always here for you, always there. And may that give you comfort as you go through Lent and enter into this Easter season. Until next time, my name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and you are listening to The Unlearning Podcast.